Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. There's a fucking bus going by. Oh, I should close the window. Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. I am Sykes and this is my podcast. Episode. Hello. Oh, God, these fucking buses. I just don't want to close the window because then I have to take the fan out of the window and it's a huge process. Okay. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of Start the Beat with Sykes. I am Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out last week's episode with Anna Lance. If you are one of those people, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home and as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Now, today, my friend Joey is on the show. For those of you who don't know Joey, he plays drums in Sykes, and he is also the drummer for Greywalker, which is the metal band that I am in. I have known him for, you know, it's like five or six years now, and I could safely say he's one of the best people I've ever met in my life. And that's really all I'm going to say about him. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're going to get to learn a lot about him and about our relationship over the course of the next hour and a half. I apologize that this conversation's so long, but hey, you know, I think me and Joey like each other. And you can put us in a room and we'll talk. And that's all the intro you're going to get. Sit back, relax, and let's start the motherfucking bait! and phones they don't even bother making nice ones anymore just as long as the screen's the size of your fucking face and... <laughs> well i actually have this theory that god is trolling me because um since my real name is truly gary and everybody calls me joey i feel like he puts it into everybody's head that it's my real Jerry. name yeah, oh, that's, that's, that's really just fucking a, funny it's a combination of the both just to screw with me so yeah god trolls me on a daily basis when i call people just to keep me in line i guess good you, you deserve it Oh, thanks. <laughs> All right, so, Joey, good dude. Good to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, it was inevitable that this conversation was going to happen. Yeah, and it's one of those things that we see each other twice a week, so yeah. it's like, it's like, all right, let's struggle for things to talk about for an hour. <laughs> yes, but there are some things that I don't know okay. about you. Like, let's say, let's go to Lil Joey. Okay, Lil Joey. All right. Um, was Lil Joey interested in music? Uh, not until about sixth grade. Little Joey was interested in drawing comic books and playing Nintendo and Super Nintendo and going outside and like, uh, like I would always go and play with the neighbor kids and like, we'd like, make up like war, we were like warriors and like going on missions yeah. and stuff like that. Um, normal little kid shit. Yeah. So you had a normal childhood. Uh, for the most part. And then, uh, we ended up moving when I was in like... Halfway through fifth grade, we moved down with my grandmother over in Norvelt, which is like kind of near Greensburg. And I was there for a half a year. 
and then we moved to Emporium, which is where I end up inevitably remaining until I moved to Pittsburgh. But so I moved all that and I moved to Emporium and started sixth grade. And I was like the kid that wore sweatpants. Okay. Like I, I hated jeans. I'm like, I'm not dealing with this jean shit. Like these feel comfortable. They've got elastic. They, I can adjust them with a string. It's awesome. So you've always been practical. Oh yeah. I've always been practical. <laughs> always, you know, honestly now, if I could get away with like women have like the jeggings, like yeah. they, don't, they don't really make jeggings for guys, but if they did, I would probably, I think they do. I mean, it's like high fashion type of like is it expensive though that's the probably point. well yeah. that's that's when the practicality comes out of it it's like do i pay 20 dollars for a pair of jeans from like walmart or do i go and spend 80 dollars on a pair of elastic uh jeggings or whatever they're called for men yeah well you know but i uh i started playing drums in sixth grade and it wasn't really drums i just joined the concert band and they didn't let me play anything other than cymbals <laughs> And I had like I had these big fucking bangs, like one of those monkeys. Yeah, like one of the one, one of the monkeys. So every time I'd hit the cymbals, like my hair would go flying up in the air. And like so, like my first sixth sixth grade band concert, like all the parents are laughing every time I hit the cymbals, and I didn't understand why. Um, so, but then after that, I was like, well, this is horseshit. Like I joined the band to like beat on some drums, so let me play some drums. And they're like, all right, we'll learn this music. And so I went home and learned it. And they're like, okay, well, you know what, so you can play it. And that's how it continued to go. So it was like drum kit? Uh, at that point, or it was just... only like a snare drum. Yeah, okay. And then uh, got into seventh grade and uh, started doing like the marching band stuff. And it was kind of the same way, like they made me play bass drum. And then I eventually, you know, I was like, well, I want to, I want to play snare drum. And they're like, well, you got to earn it. So I, I learned all the music better than the other guy, and he got... <laughs> He got demoted down to bass drum, and but um, but the drum set transition that was in, I guess that was in seventh slash eighth grade. I was twelve. This was like a pretty like short time span. Yeah, me. yeah, it was pretty short. Like, um, yeah, sixth to seventh grade. Got like my parents. Um, the editor of the newspaper in Emporium was selling his drum set. Everybody knew everybody in Emporium, so um, we, we bought it for like three hundred dollars. It was like this old Ludwig kit. Ludwig kit had no heads on the bottom, like, this, like, some of the stands were literally, like, a piece of metal with, like, a screw sticking out through the top, and at this point, I still didn't have any friends after moving to Emporium, so I had a lot of free time on my hands, Yeah. so I would just sit, like, on weekends, I would start first thing in the morning, play for about eight hours. At and your house? At my house, your yeah. Your parents were cool with that? Uh, they were as cool as they could be with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was either that or go out and, like, smoke cigarettes and get into drugs or yeah, do whatever. Yeah, that's that age. So, I imagine in a town like that, too. Oh, yeah. You start young. You fall into the pit. And, you know, some people, you know, there's some people that I know now that are still there and falling into the pit. And some of them, some of them did, haven't even survived this long. Um, but, yeah, I was playing you know, by myself in my basement, listening to, like, corn records and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask, like, as far as music goes, um, when did you start getting into music um, and, like, the transition into, like, more alternative music, or did you just, like, fall right into well alternative-ish, like... Like, my, my dad is a radio disc jockey, okay. so I've been around music my whole life. Like, I, I had a turntable, like, I would, I would, when I was in, like, third or fourth grade I would sit by myself with a turntable and like listen to Michael Jackson records sure. and like you know Weird Al records and like 
whatever record that I could pull off the shelf that had a cool album cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that I knew a song off the radio or whatever, or that my parents would listen to. And then uh, my parents got into tapes, so I really got into Warrant, like Warrant <laughs> Cherry Pie. Uh, so eventually, after a while, um, I met another drummer, and he was really big into metal. He was into, like, Sepultura and Korn and Deftones, and I, I really wanted to, like be like this guy like he was only like a grade or two ahead of me but i was oh, like yeah, he seemed so cool yeah he was like the coolest guy his, his name was mark um and so at one point he didn't really want me being around but i kind of forced myself to okay. be around him all the time so like i'd go over to his house and like his, his mom would like feed me dinner and stuff and i would just watch him play and like eventually i think eventually we became friends but like we kind of transitioned out of that and i ended up um starting a band like when I was 13 with three other guys um and we ended up being in that band it was called Project Reconnect for like five years okay so um I, I know I'm kind of like jumping all over the place but um you know uh yeah we started that band and we literally like we maybe took a couple days off a year like, we would practice every day after school. And then weekends, we would, we'd get together at, like, 12, 1 o'clock, and we'd practice for three hours, and then go wreak havoc around the small town. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was, like, after I got the drum set and after I started to get friends, it was, like, music was a constant thing in my life, you know, from that point on. And I think that's pretty much how I've met pretty much everybody I know at this point. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is in one way they were either, like, um, somebody who was in a band or a friend with somebody who was in a yeah, band yeah, yeah. or, you know, just, uh, I worked with them on some sort of project or something like that. Mm -hmm. So where is, uh, Mark nowadays Mark, or any of those uh, project reconnect guys? Mark, as far as I know, he lives in Michigan. Uh, he has, he has a kid or two. Um, I don't know if he's a professor in English, but I know he, ha he does something involving English. I know that, uh, he still plays drums every once in a while, like I'll see him post stuff and everything, but he never really, like, um, he played in, like, bar bands and stuff growing up, and I was just like, oh, that was so awesome. Okay. But, I, like, he never, it never seemed like he ended up getting into, like, any bands and trying to tour or do anything, like, on a serious level, but he was always just, like, a phenomenal drummer, and I never, I never really asked him why he didn't try and pursue it any further maybe he didn't want to i don't know i mean he seems to be doing pretty well for himself so yeah it's all i think it's a maintaining a level of personal happiness and just doing what you want to do it's your life oh yeah yeah i'm not like that wasn't meant to like yeah uh, i know you know like oh man he, yeah he's he, a he, fucking loser yeah he's a fucking loser he's always, kids and stuff yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get well, to that later yeah, we'll i guess get there. Um, <laughs> but um moving forward so you're just like getting into a ton of bands and yeah and uh like the other guys um like one the one guitar player josh i still talk to like i talk to him like three times a week or something we email back and forth um the other guy tim he lives out in ohio uh you know he has a family out there uh the other guy bill i don't talk to anymore he just for some reason last year we me and a couple other people drew drove out like six hours to celebrate his uh uh, 30th birthday and then all of a sudden he just wouldn't talk to us anymore wouldn't answer the calls like blocked us all on Facebook it was like weird yeah it was really like a high school move I don't know what um, I, I've tried reaching out I've tried like some like uh 
controlling person in his life that uh, wanted to block out his past? No, I don't know about that. I mean, like, you know, he's his own person. Like, yeah. you know, we're all our own people. So to blame that on somebody else is kind of, you know, no, no other person can fully control what sure. you decide to do. Like if my, yeah. if my wife ever said like, you need to stop talking to these people, I'd go, well, why? And if it's scum, <laughs> I'd say, well, that's fucking stupid. I'm not going to do that. Well, you're like a, you're one of the most rational people I know. You're probably the most rational person I know. And like the most, uh, no bullshit. There's an issue. Let's talk about it. Figure it out. And be done with and, it. Yeah. And just be done with it. Yeah. Instead I, of like tiptoeing around stuff. I don't like to drag it on. I'd yeah. rather just rip the bandaid off. Yeah. And like if somebody just wants to him haw around, I don't like there's only so much I can take. Like I try try my best to like hear them out. But if they're not willing to talk about it, then obviously they're not willing to solve it. Sure. No, so. that that uh is probably one of the best thing that quality of you is one of the best things uh that happened to me from you entering my life cuz I feel like I absorbed some of that. <laughs> Because every time I'm having, literally, anytime I'm having like some like bullshit situation, I got to talk something out or work through something. It's like, uh, what would Joey do? <laughs> it's well, like, just fucking like, just do take it. care of it. Yeah, yeah do it's it. Like, just something like, one of the first times it happened was when we were, the first Sykes practices at the house, like issues with the neighbors and complaining and like, you're just like so quick to be like, well, let's, you know, let's go fucking talk to him. Yeah. Uh, yeah and yeah, everybody, it's... and like, you know, we're all just so used to being like passive and just like letting it yeah you assume yeah you assume like you assume that every other person around you is not rational and i think like i think the moment you go out and actually talk to people i think most people are rational if you're actually willing to talk about it but i think everybody's so scared of talking to each other like the neighbors like I i remember that situation too they were like it was a sunday and it was football and all i i i remember talking to them i think all i said was you know Look, I understand it's. I understand we're loud. Um, you know, we're only going to be a couple more hours. You know, we'll we'll try our best to keep it down. Um, if you if you run into anything, please feel free to come over and talk to us first. Um, you know, if I I understand like the cops have come over and everything, but you know we can deal with this easier. Like we're going to be beside each other for a long time, and we yeah. just need to make it work. And the guys seem cool with it, and. I don't think I remember the cops being called again when I was there. At least, anyway, I don't know about when you when your other bands were there or anything. Yeah. But at least, at least, seemed to like stop the situation for at least that day and all the other band practices where I, I was there. Yeah. And I even remember walking like into into the practice a couple times and like seeing the guy and just like you know hey. throwing your hand up saying hey how's it going you know and it's just I think setting that level of respect for each other makes things go a lot smoother yeah so do you think that is that something that kind of came from your upbringing like is your family like that or something that just like you naturally developed that way i think i I don't think it was my family like not to not to throw my family under the bus but i think it was um when i was 17 i started uh touring with a punk rock band a canadian punk rock band called belvedere and they literally did not it was like a no bs type of situation so everything if there was something i mean it was sort of like to the autistic level if somebody was thinking something they would just say it like i remember um it was like three days into the tour and um i i was not a good high school student at all um and 
at this point, we had driven, driven all the way from State College, Pennsylvania, across the country, and we, we were going to Disneyland that day. And I remember I was pulling to the hotel, and the guy, Scott, the guitar player, he said, so, so I forgot to ask, um, what do you do when you're not fucking flunking out of high school? <laughs> and at that point, I had, I just completely had lost it. I'm like, I'm like, I've driven all, I've ridden all the way across the country with like four twenty something year olds just like hashing down on me the entire time. Yeah. And like, I finally reached the breaking point. And but after that, it was just, you know, I felt like I was on the at least somewhat of the same level. Yeah. Like, uh, like there was a couple situations that, that happened where in the past, I think I would have just kind of laid down and just kind of been like, well, wherever, wherever things fall, they fall, no big deal. But instead it was more of the atmosphere where you really needed to be, I'm not going to say aggressive, but you needed to be proactive about it and just bring it up before it became a problem. And, I think I've ever since then, that's the way I've lived is to make sure to try and be proactive about everything, you know, have a lot of foresight when it comes to stuff, because, you know, nine times out of 10, if you would have just thought about it before you got there, it wouldn't have been an issue. Like, you know, just even down to the small stuff, like we talk about, like, uh, before we go to shows, like, Hey, do you happen to have like this little adapter? Do you happen to have this cable? Like we're going to this venue and like, we know that it's going to be like a long stretch from here to here. And it's like the fact that we thought about it beforehand made it so we're not stressed out when we get there. Yeah. And like, you know, just I think I've tried to do that with everything that comes to like relationships and work and bands. It's and, a really funny perspective that um, you most people who get into bands very young kind of go the opposite route of like maturing and learning how to be an adult but it's almost like you like learn these like hard life lessons or at least how to process things through the process of being in a band and being on tour and i guess being with a band that had their shit together and we're like well i don't you well, know maybe they didn't necessarily well that's the, that's the funny thing is i've been in so many bands since and i've realized that no band ever has their shit together okay like no band that i've ever been in has their shit together and even bands that you see on tour that you end up getting to know they don't have their shit together. Yeah. None of us Well, do. I guess... I guess uh, we, we play it off really well, but none of us have our shit together. I guess, like, uh, that's all uh, <laughs> a matter of opinion. Yeah. <laughs> a matter of perspective yeah, from the outside yeah. your world. Your perspective on what your shit is and your perspective on what together really means. Yeah, and, and, and that was the thing. Like, I went from that band and, like, I moved down to Pittsburgh and, and inevitably ended up in another band. And, like, from the outside, it looked like we all had our shit together pretty well. Like, we were... Like, uh, you know, we were playing shows and we were, um, like we eventually got signed and all that, but like, it was just not an emotionally good situation for anybody. Like it was, you know, it went from, I was in bands where like we would say something, but it felt like there was a mutual respect for each other. Um, even if what you were saying was, was really shitty. And in this situation, it was more of what you were saying you know, to each other, there was no respect behind it. Okay. And it eventually ended up leading to the, the you know, the downfall of the band. Everybody quit, and I was the last guy there. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm the last guy here. I guess I'm going to just cancel the rest of this tour. And we drove home from Alabama and called it a day. A day. <laughs> yeah, it's really, so it's really hard being in a band and getting, you know, 
four, five, however many people on the same page. And, you know, the older you get, the harder it gets. But then it could also balance out um, that you get on the same page, but like a page that's maybe uh, not so optimistic. Yeah, well, like, like like how Greywalker is right now, where I feel like we're all kind of on the same page, minus Colt. I think Colt has, like, delusions of grandeur at times, but, yeah, like, well, I mean, his I heart's think, in the right place. I think we all do, though. Yeah. I mean, we all, I mean, to say that, like, you know, we all don't dream of, like, going and playing, like, Open Air Fest or whatever, and yeah. like, you know, half a million people or something stupid uh-huh. like that. Yeah, we all think about it, but, you know, to set real expectations of what's going to happen um, is entirely different. And, you know, even even a couple of years ago when Grey Walker was starting, I think I think some of us were, you know, this was before you were even in the band. I think some of us were guilty of, of that, of having higher expectations than what were well, a reality. I remember I came to a practice with you guys one time. And then, like, afterwards you had, like, a little, like, get-together. I think we, like, all went to D's and you were, like, talking about, like, emailing stuff out and like you were like distributing like duties and tasks to everybody and it just seemed like it was just like in one ear out the other oh 100 (laughs) percent yeah like you know and and that's the thing i think that's like i think i've realized that's what it's like with a lot of bands is there are usually one or two core people that are doing like the making sure that the business side of it is flowing like a business you got like a manager an assistant manager and then fucking employees yeah and like and you feel bad that you like somewhat are bossing your friends around like you need to make sure you're here at this time if not we're just gonna hate you yeah like it's (laughs) dumb it's like you want to take things easy like right now it's like with gray walker it's like oh yeah whatever but there's still some things that you need to you can't just be like whatever about like you know if we're fucking doing this let's do it right yeah you know, like, you know, if we're going to put out an album, let's, like, make sure it has, like, cool artwork and we do it right instead of just, like, fucking throwing something together. It's like we put all this work into the music. Why would we just, like... Well, and that's the thing is, like, making that, making those extra steps. But I'm also, like, like, not to cut you off, yeah. but to balance it so it's not like we're putting too much into it and then getting so connected and so distracted like yeah this is gonna be a fucking great thing and like setting ourselves up for this like inevitable disappointment oh yeah it's like okay we'll, we'll get done with this we're gonna actually press ten thousand copies of the thing <laughs> we're gonna send it out everywhere and then we're just gonna play a show in pittsburgh and be done for a few months uh-huh. uh, you know it's just it's it's setting it's living your reality i mean you know with us it's uh you know we're gonna play some shows in pittsburgh we're gonna play some shows outside of pittsburgh we're gonna have fun you know and, and that's the thing is like now that I've gotten older, like the music is more about being around people that I like rather than trying to be around, you know, it's more about being around the people that I like rather than trying to meet new people. Sure. Um, it's the whole, it's now back to more of when I was 13 years old, where it was like the creative process of like writing the music and spending time with my friends and, and going to shows and just enjoying like the people, you know, and meeting them. It's not about, later where it came to all right we got to go to the show we got to try and meet these certain people we need to try and get all these fans on our at that point myspace yeah um you know it's not about getting the likes or like the friends anymore it's about you know just writing the good tunes that you like playing and going out and having a couple beers and playing in front of some people i mean obviously it's nice to gain like gain people that appreciate the music but it feels like that's kind of secondary sure and i think that if you're putting out like a good product and playing good shows people will they'll come 
Yeah. You don't need to, like, shove it down everybody's throats that you are there. Just play it, you know, and if people care, they will they will seek, they'll find you. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, like, now as I've gotten older, I can even notice when you go out and, you know, you see some bands and, you know, they really, they really have their stuff together. I mean, they have, like, they have everything. They have, like, the backdrops, like, all their equipment is completely out, like, the best equipment you can get. They're, like, super tight. They're actually too tight to be, yeah. like, it's kind of over, you know, overkill, and you just kind of look at it and you go, are these guys really happy doing what they're doing? <laughs> or are they just kind of up there, like, trying to, like, trying to do the grind? And, you know, it's it works both ways. That's how I feel about the Instead of Sleeping guys a lot is um, they're awesome dudes, awesome musicians, but it seems like they are really distracted with um, trying to make it in some way or another, which that's a good thing. You can't be like, oh, what the fuck, you're in a band, you're trying to make it. <laughs> but it's just like, I, I wonder sometimes if it is still... Like that, that same feeling when they started as a band, it's still like that fun, genuine hangout with our friends type of thing. Or is have they been at it for so long that now it just feels like we need to do this. We have to take this step and this step. Well, I've and, never really had that. I mean, I had Sean in here and I didn't even yeah. fucking ask him about it. I wasn't thinking about it. Well, and I think, I, I hate to say, and I, you know, I know those guys just in passing and this isn't a comment directed to them at all, but I just don't think some people know how to do it. Like, I think people have an idea, but there is something to be said where about people that go out there and grind the touring thing. And I think that makes the big difference. And that's really hard to do. Like, you essentially have to live with your parents or you have to live with people that are understanding of your situation. And I don't think there's a lot of labels that are going to sign you if you're not out there grinding. Uh-huh. And then to the flip side of it, you don't need to necessarily be on a label anymore, but how are you going to how are you going to distribute your your music if you're not out there? I mean, it's one thing like okay, you you let's say you get a fan in, in Missouri, you know, us being in Pennsylvania and you get them to like your music. Okay, that's great. But the next progression in that step is when you like somebody, you want to go and see them. So this, if you're not on the if you're not out there touring, there it also depends. It doesn't. You don't seal the deal. You you get you get like you get in the door, but you don't get the sale because you're not out there in, in front of them. It depends on the genre of music. This is something that is actually a lot different with like hip hop, or electronic stuff, or DJ like like any like something where the live show isn't as much of an important part of the experience rather than the overall aesthetic. And I think that's why a lot of hip-hop really thrives online. Sure, hip-hop artists tour and people go to the shows, but a hip-hop artist could get really big online and not tour. They don't have to tour. Those people aren't... A lot of people who listen to hip-hop might be immersed in the culture, but in a different way. It's not like... Uh, like, I don't know. It's being in like the hip-hop scene and being involved in like a punk scene and the metal scene of seeing how they they all the different scenes interact and the hip-hop scene definitely is not as concerned with shows that makes sense yeah and 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 that's probably true with a couple other genres too where you know the, the live show isn't going to you know isn't going to provide as much 
I'm not going to, I don't want to say provide as much satisfaction, but it's different, you know. One, it's a different experience. Yeah, yeah. you know, with, with hip hop, you know, I feel depending on who it is, it's sometimes just one guy up there with a backtrack, you know, hip hop, you know, hip hop, you know, doing his rhymes over his beats where I think in, you know, the genre that I'm most familiar with or the genres I'm most familiar with, you know, that's extremely important having those couple guys up there and you know them doing their interpretations their live interpretations of the stuff that you're you're seeing yeah and i'm not saying that hip-hop can't do that but you know for the most part if you're doing the backtrack there's no the only opportunity you have for reinterpretation is just the vocals yeah where you know a band it's like yeah, the bass player can play something a little different. The drummer can do kind of a, a different feel. You can change your tempos. You can change the feel, the aesthetic. You can add little intros, little outros. Yeah. You you get all these opportunities to to essentially like show your audience a new versions of the things that mm -hmm. they've listened to online. Um, someone that's really good at doing that actually is Aesop Rock, because um, he he'll tour with a DJ, and he'll like do songs, and like the DJ will blend beats together and he'll like mash up his songs he'll do like like a very like a very variant or let's just say different versions of beats like the beats this is the backtrack beat but it's like he's actually produced something that's a little different or it's a little slow or it's like a remix and just like you know the dude the dj just cuts them back and forth and it's cool so it's like a interesting way to perform a hip-hop set but keep it fresh and, and, like, and that's probably why he he seems to do pretty well for himself is, yeah you know he he, he went out there and he got people hooked at first and then he sealed the deal by being out there and getting the getting the audience out there is you know that that also helps you keep going is if you can get those audi that audience to keep coming back you can maintain yeah I was talking about this recently with I, I've, I've brought it up a few times but local hip-hop shows are really funny because there isn't like a really built-in community of just fans that support local hip-hop. You go to a local hip-hop show, three-fourths of the people in the room are other rappers, <laughs> easily. Yep. And the other fourth are, like, those rappers' friends. Well, I mean, it's kind of the same thing with the but, metal and, and the, punk scene, too. It is. But this is the thing. You can have a local metal show or a local punk show that might have more people at it than, like, a national act in the same genre. But, like, Aesop Rock will come through and fucking fill up Alter Bar. And it's like, where are all these people? Like, those people don't give a shit about the local scene. They don't seek it out. They just, they don't care. Zero interest. And it's just how it is. But, you know, with rock music, and in let's say rock in general, there are, like, actual people that want to go to shows and care because they like seeing live music. But do you think that's part of the difference, too, with somebody like Aesop Rock versus... Um not everybody in Pittsburgh that does hip-hop, but, you know, some people that if you don't have that extra element, if you don't have that element of variance, that, you know, it, it's not as big of an interest to go and see them. Well, if, you, if you have, like, if you know that you have an opportunity to see a different version of it, I think as a fan you're more apt to go and, and watch it rather than, like, okay, essentially... Some people, it's just hip hop karaoke. You're just, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're up there and you're playing your beat in the background and you're rhyming over it. And you know, I understand that that's a that's you know that's your music, that's your way. But I think it's a lot more difficult to to get a fan out to to watch you do that rather than 
when they get an opportunity to see you create it live. Well, I th I'm not saying that people are ignorant, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people that probably go to those shows don't notice those all those little nuances. They, they, they just think, oh, there's a DJ, there's a guy rapping. It's like, me behind the curtain, it's like I can appreciate the technical aspects of everything the DJ's doing because I get it, and plus I'm like really familiar with the original productions or compositions of his music to begin with, so I might notice it more than... I'm just talking like the casual person, not yeah. like someone who is also a musician or a beat maker or the super fan that obviously knows everything. Just like the casual schmuck that, you know, is just like, oh, like I know that Aesop Rock guy. Like, yeah, I'm going to go to that show. Like the norm, like the, 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 the straight up fan. But I think the straight up fan also notices the difference between uh, what they listen to online. And if they go, if I think if they go and they hear literally the exact same thing, I think subconsciously they say to themselves, well, I could have just stayed home and, yeah, and heard this. Perhaps. But if you, you know, I don't think, like, I don't think the average person when they're standing there, they're thinking about, oh, that's really cool how they, they blended this little part of this uh -huh. and little, this little part of this. I think it turns into, you know, it turns into an experience rather than turning into just um, a show. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they get to see art created in front of them, which I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more appealing and... I don't think people, I think when people enjoy things, it's not something that like, I enjoyed this because of this. I enjoyed this because of this. I think that they, they subconsciously figure out, yeah, I like that. I don't necessarily know exactly why I like that, but, th but there is something that is drawing me here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think when, even in shows like that, when they think, oh, okay, I can see this person. They don't say to themselves, well, I don't want to go see them because all it's going to be is just a guy up there, you know, rhyming over a backtrack. I think they just say, you know, I'm not going to enjoy going to see that, so I'm not going to go buy a ticket. Just not going to be my thing. They're not interested enough to to go out and, and pursue it. Yeah, I think that, I think it's also to the, uh, I think at all, like, location of some of these shows might not be exactly the most appealing thing for some people. Um, and, you know, I guess as we get older, everybody just has other shit to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like the, another weird thing about, I would say the hip hop community is that there isn't, while there is a, there's a small place for it locally in the underground scene, but there is not really like an under 21 or underage market for because it it's all in bars and weird clubs and stuff like that so anyone who is underage which is that's where like all the like scenes really thrive from is like when kids are 17 18 19 years old have nothing fucking else better to do butler PA yeah. right now <laughs> yeah but there's no like hip-hop at, at least the, the, there wasn't when i was that age like hip-hop places for people to get that out at that age and invite their friends that are that age too. Well, and, and that's like, uh, I guess transitioning into a different conversation. Like that's, uh, it's amazing how different, like I remember the scene when I was 17, 18, 19 years old to now being 30 and how I perceive, you know, the music scene now yeah. when I was 17, 18, 19, it was, we go out, we hang with our friends and everybody's there. It's, it's an event, you know, you, you, you hear about old people talk about back in the day that they had these huge events with like the big bands and stuff like oh, yeah, that. Yeah. Well, 
to me, like, this was my experience like that. Oh, yeah. It's like going to, um, when I was younger, we had a, uh, it was a youth center. It was above the police station. Okay. Um, and we literally would pack the place. We'd have like four to 500 kids there. On average, I would say there was probably 150 to 200 kids a show. And we had bands like the Ataris, 30 Foot Fall, Swingin' Utters, like, you know, you name it. Back in the day, before, and this was even a little bit before my time, we had like Bouncing Souls, uh, Weston, and... You know, it was just always, we always, we were able to bring in good bands because we had such a good scene and there was always people coming. And then the building got torn down. (laughs) (laughs) And then it kind of moved on to, like, Elks Clubs and Moose Lodges. Nothing ever, like, seemed to pick up from there. I mean, it picked up, like, a little bit, but it wasn't as regular. Yeah. It was like you were having a show every three to four months rather than a show once a month. Uh Uh-huh. You know, it was like back in the day, it was like my band was playing at that youth center like every other month. Yeah. You know, being, I was like 16, 17 years old and I was booked playing with bands like two to three weekends out of the month. Sure. Like either playing with my own or filling in for somebody else. I think that affected your shitty high school experience? Uh, I I think it was going to be shitty regardless. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, there was like times where... uh, I filled in for a band called Fat Tony. You had Ryan on the show. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Warmbro. And we had played a show in West Virginia on a Sunday. And I had gotten back into the town that my school was in at like five in the morning. I got like an hour and a half of sleep. And then I went into school and like did the rest of my day. Now, I probably wasn't on par that day. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess there could be something. To be, there's something to be said about probably not having a good experience that yeah. way. But, um... You know, like, I just was... You call- tried, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I, I tried as much as I wanted to, I guess. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I graduated. I yeah. mean, that's something. I made it there. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, it was something like... I figured it out. When I was 17, between doing, like... um, Between doing the stuff with Belvedere, the stuff with my own band, the stuff with Fat Tony, and any other band I would fill in, like... They would send me, like, a CD, like, two weeks beforehand, and I would just go and play. I played something like 85 shows, and I was still going to high school. Yeah, yeah. So it was, like, I was just constantly on the grind. And then it's gone downhill ever since then. <laughs> so I reached my peak, and then Yeah, I down. was going to ask you about, like, it seems like probably when you were touring with Belvedere, that was probably your most, like, legit experience on the road maybe or in a band or is there something else that you thought was maybe a little bit more like official that happened down I, th- I think Belvedere was the most official but then um when I was with Demise Averos we did touring um and you know we'd go here or there but you know that how like, did those two experiences connect with each other like were you able to be like hey like I've done this shit before and be like this is what we should do this is what we shouldn't do well and and that was that was kind of part of the problem when I got into demise, and that was kind of you know what I spoke about earlier with like the respect issue, is um, you know I felt that when I had gotten into the band, I had brought um, I had brought a level of experience with me, and like you know I feel that I was able to put some of that into the band, like but, into their heads. Yeah, into okay. their heads, but then ultimately, like you know. I, I had told everybody before before we had started touring, I go, this is going to be way different than you think it's going to be. It's not going to be 
fun and games all the time. It's not going to be like this exhilarating experience that sure. you imagine in your head and everybody's like, oh, I know what to expect. I know what to expect. And what was funny is I, I and going through this, I did the same. Well, I guess I didn't do the same thing. I packed, I packed the same amount of stuff every time I toured. But um, like when I went on tour, I packed like the smallest little bag because I knew, okay, I'm not going to do be able to do laundry all the time. You know, I'm not going to be able to do all these different things. So you carry the bare essentials. But when I went on tour with Demise, it was funny. I had this tiny little bag. Everybody's bringing, like, three pairs of shoes. Oh, yeah. And, like, their, their beach clothes, their, like, night clothes, their, like, all this stuff. They have these huge bags. And literally <laughs> the first thing I said was, you know, you're going to be fine with this the first day. But after day four or five where you're having to haul all of your shit into some random person's house and then you're carrying around all your dirty clothes, you're going to hate your decision. And it was like clockwork. Like <laughs> like five, five, six days into it, they're like, I regret bringing this huge ass bag. And the next tour, it was like everybody had these tiny little, like the smallest bags that you could possibly imagine. And it was like, you know, sometimes you can only, you could tell people something and they're just not going to believe you until you get sure. there. Um, and I think that was part of the problem that eventually led to the end of that band was that, you know, it, it wasn't the experience that everybody was picturing it was going to be, you know, and some of it, it could have been, but the personality clashes were just, you know, it just, it wasn't good. I think now, now that, you know, all the members are older and everything, I think, it's funny. I th I think if we all did this the same van now, I think it would be a lot more successful. Successful, but I don't. I think everybody is too smart to do it. <laughs> yeah, like that's a thing that goes back to me thinking it's really funny how you uh, absorbed this level of maturity from being in a band. Like you, uh, you were able to see it from a side very early that a lot of people don't, because. The lifestyle of a musician, particularly like a metal or a punk musician, usually appeals to like a very shitty character. Yeah. You know, someone who just doesn't have their shit together. And it's like the stereotype of punk. You know, we don't have our shit together. We don't know what we're doing. And like, you know, there's some glamour in that. So it's one thing that makes it hard to work with people when you're younger. And even to this day, in some circumstances, mm -hmm. because they don't know what the fuck they're doing because, you know, that's why they're listening to shitty music and that's why they're in bands and it's, you know. <laughs> well, I think, I think with Belvedere, like, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that all those guys were perfect. We were all, we all had our, our quirks and like, we, you know, we all had, you know, different things that annoyed each other, yeah. you know, but I think, I think there was a mutual level of respect for each person. And I think, I think if you take an experience and, you kind of say we're all in this together rather than say that, okay, we're five individuals, four or five individuals uh, going on tour together. It's a lot easier. Like when um, I remember one drive, we were driving, we got into Europe, we were driving from Belgium all the way to Austria. It was, it was some stupid amount of time. It was like 15 hours or yeah. something like that. And we stopped halfway in between. And we have this little, we're touring around at this point in this little, it was, it was called an Opel Severo. It was a little bit smaller than a minivan, a little bit larger than a large car. But there was not a lot of room in there with with the four of us. Um, 
So we pulled over on the side of the road, and the only place that we had to sleep was like the set of rocks or inside the vehicle. Okay. So obviously it was comfortable for two people to like recline back in the seats, and then two of us went out and just like put our blankets down and like slept on these rocks. Like if you just take that experience as we're all in it together rather than sitting there and moping and saying to yourself that this sucks, yeah. I think it's a lot easier. Like if you can laugh about what's what you're kind of going sure, through, sure. it's a lot easier to, to cope with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, that's what it is in, in real, in, you know, in anything in your life. If you're able to have a support system there with you to help you through something, I think it's a lot easier sure. to get through it than just fully relying on yourself for everything. Oh yeah, you know, there's that, uh, there's no I in team. Yeah. That bullshit. Another thing too, the problem with people and bands is, uh, egos you know that's another thing that the musician lifestyle really caters to is people with like a very distorted ego and heightened sense of self (laughs) and you know what i'm actually then like talking to those people and being like hey we need to do this this way if you're talking to somebody that has like an ego issue it's never it never works i mean i I actually firmly believe that there is there is such thing as a healthy amount of ego. Oh, definitely. Um, you know they call it confidence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like, there's a difference. Like, I guess with ego, ego involves not listening to anybody else and just truly believing that what you're doing yeah. is is right. But like, it's a. I think it's okay to be very assertive about you, sure, what you want, but ultimately, you know, like. That's something I bring up all the time is like, look, my opinion is that I don't feel that we should do something. However, if everybody else wants to do something, I'm not going to sit back here and and bitch and complain about it. I'm going to do it because that's what's best. That's what everybody else feels best. Yeah. And like, I think if you're in a band and you can communicate like that, it goes a lot easier. Or if you, I think it's, I think part of it's understanding the rules of, of what each person has like, you know, we had t- talked about earlier in our band how, you know, every once in a while, like, we kind of know what everybody's role is. Like, some people's role is, you know, like, uh, like writing the music. Some people's roles are getting the business aspect of it down. Some people's aspect are the social aspect of it. Yeah. You know, it's just knowing what everybody's role is and how they contribute and not expecting any more than what their role is. Yeah. Like, and... And also having a healthy expectation of what, of, of knowing how they are in their personality, knowing that, you know, if you need to leave somewhere by two o'clock, you need to tell them that they need to be there by 1230, knowing that they're going <laughs> to, knowing that they're only going to show up at one thirty. Yeah. So you can leave by two o'clock. Yeah. You know, it's just, you can get mad about it, but ultimately just, yeah, they're your friend. Just, just know that, know their downfalls, know that they're going to fall short and just smile and yeah. go with it it's like you know this is this is your team yeah. this is what you have and if you have to manage the team and uh manipulate in a somewhat manipulative yet productive <laughs> way yeah hey and, everybody wins yeah and 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 that's the thing is like you know you could probably trade them in for a newer model but they got some other shitty quirk that you have to do oh, yeah with. there's there's so, all it's yeah it's you know that's the funny thing like with gray walker like you know you've been working with Ricky and Evan for 
you know, years, and I've been working with Colt for years, and the two of us have been working together for a couple co- years coming now. up on years now. Yeah. So, you know, while I might not understand exactly how, you know, Ricky and Evan work 100%, I'm getting to know them, and you might understand how Colt works 100%, but, you know, you're getting to figure that out. And But we know each other, and we kind of have become, like, the the two, like, get shit dunners yeah. of the band. Ah, that's but I think it's like a healthy balance. We know, you know, yeah, we need I, to remind Colt to bring his things. We need to remind Colt to, uh, <laughs> hey, if you bring you bring the merch. That, that's the funny, the funny uh, running running gag is yeah. even though he doesn't hold on to the merch now, we just constantly remind him <laughs> to bring the merch. Yeah, and you know, if when it comes to, you know, hey, you know, we need to tell some people about these shows. Like Evan is not the person to expect to promote the shows because yeah. you know. He works all the time. He's yeah. not an internet guy, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. You know, he's actually like one of like the coolest like people I have met in a yeah. long time because he's still a person. He hasn't yeah. been ruined by social media. Yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't <laughs> come, like been succumbed to all the the bullshit that comes of Facebook and yeah. Instagram and all he's that. He's like stuff. an actual like human being. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't rely on like sending him a Facebook message like yeah. I do everybody else. You have to actually like call him or text him. God forbid. Yeah, you Jesus. gotta get you gotta get a hold of him. I might even actually start sending him letters instead. <laughs> yeah, like um, hey, we got it. <laughs> you were cordially invited to play this show, <laughs> July whatever. Please check yes or no and yeah. send back. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's not quite that bad, but no. he's uh. You know, he's just not the, like like you said, he's not the internet guy, and that's just, you know, setting the healthy expectation of, you know, if, if you know what to expect every, out of everybody, then you're, you're golden. Yeah, I think if you can pull the best traits out of everybody and only ask them to do those things, you could still make a good meal. Yeah. You know? Yes. Exactly. Gotta... The right ingredients of this and that, you <laughs> yeah, know? right amount of spice, like, right amount of everything. Yeah, so. you just can't put every, like, however much you want. You got to think about it. Yeah. So that's actually a really good segue, getting into something that I would actually really wanted to talk to you about because I talk to people in bands all the time. I usually do this for about an hour. We're already at 50 minutes, but I don't oh, care. Wow. I'll cut this down. Don't give a shit. I'll <laughs> keep going. I want to talk to you about food. Oh boy! Because <laughs> yeah, I love you know what's funny I I used to be the type of person that I didn't really care about food yeah like that uh, I was actually part of like going back to the whole touring experience before I went on tour I was like one of those people that didn't eat vegetables on anything <laughs> okay yeah like it's like cheeseburger yeah. burger cheese burger. well it was funny um I when when we were practicing to go on tour um, with Belvedere we had gone to Sheets. And um, I had ordered a sub, and Scott, who was vegetarian at the time, um, he's like, aren't you putting any vegetables on that thing? I was like, no, I'm just going to put, like, you know, chicken and cheese on <laughs> Chicken, cheese, and sauce. That's all I need. He goes, you need to put some fucking vegetables on that thing. You're going to die of some weird disease. <laughs> and then from then on, like, I started trying to put vegetables. But then it actually benefited me later because when, when I went to Europe, like... I felt like felt like nine out of ten of the meals that I ate were strictly vegetarian vegan meals. Oh, weird. Or or, ve- or vegan meals. So at that point, I at least gotten used to the idea because if I didn't, I probably wouldn't have eaten it when I went to <laughs> Europe. I probably would have just been starving to death. And sure, whenever you're getting into the weird world of vegetables, you might 
I mean, I don't like every vegetable. You gotta trial and error this shit and find out some things. And then I'm sure there were some things that you tried and you're like, wow, I never realized I could like this uh, this much. So whenever you're put in that position, you can at least weigh the pros and cons of the menu rather than reading Japanese or something, (laughs) not knowing what the fuck you're looking at. Well, and that's, um, you know, the food conversation. That's, I know that's something that you and I have talked about and something that is brought up with other people is we have this argument all the time because like every once in a while I'll go out and I'll spend like this exuberant amount of money on this meal. Yeah. And, you know, some people will be like, what? Like you spent how much on what? Yeah. And I'm like, you have to understand at this point, it's the quality of the food rather than the quantity. I do understand that I can go to a Chinese buffet and pay $15 and sit there for 10 hours and eat this food that is, it's okay. Sure. But I, I go and I spend a good amount of money on eating this like finely crafted meal and it's just, it doesn't necessarily fill me up, but it makes me feel satisfied when I'm finished. Sure. I've eaten the perfect amount of food. I've had the perfect amount of like things blended together all into one oh, meal. Yeah. It's an experience. Yeah. So, uh, is there anywhere in Pittsburgh that you've eaten that you feel has been like truly exceptional that you that you recommend to everybody? As far as a top notch like eating experience, no. I think Pittsburgh is phenomenal for like really good shitty food. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like exceptionally good food that's not necessarily good for you. Like, like the Permanis of like, like the like, Permanis like, like maybe the... like Permanis, but even more so like stuff that you wouldn't expect. Like all the food at the Smiling Moose, yeah, is I feel exceptional for what it is. Yeah, like, their shrimp po' boy is my favorite sandwich <laughs> to eat in the city, hands down. You know, I'll get one. I'll eat. I go there once a week. You know, and it's like sure I could go to Jimmy John's or Subway or whatever, but I would much rather go there and spend like twenty bucks on a good sandwich and a good beer and a decent tip yeah that's and that's the thing is like you're like you're spending the money for the quality of the meal that you're eating oh yeah you know and and that's and that's one thing that i used to not understand that that idea and i i still have friends that don't understand that idea they're like well you you just spent like forty dollars on on like you know this meal and a couple beers why didn't you just go to mcdonald's and spend seven dollars for a value meal and then you know some people don't... I mean, it goes with, like, craft beer, too. Yeah. There's some people that just don't fucking get it. You know, there's some people that think every, you know, death metal song sounds the same. They, yeah. don't, they don't understand the intricacies of the riff yeah. or the drum parts. <laughs> they don't get it, you know. it's They're not going to be able to tell the differences. And you, it's not even a worth the time to try to explain it. That's the kind of shit that just has to click in your head. You know, you know like, we'll say Colt, for example. We could set. Colt we keep down. bringing him up. He's we do because like, we... I know he's going to listen to this, so I think he'll <laughs> get a kick out of it. Um, you know, I feel like we could sit Colt down with like a line of like burgers, like the shittiest to the fanciest, and I don't feel like he would give a shit. Not okay. in a bad way, but it's just like you know, it might be able to tell the differences between like you know the the two dollar McDonald's burger or the twenty dollar fucking 
I don't know, like purgatory bullshit burger. Well, that's, I mean, Ricky is the one that I usually have the conversation with okay. about this most of the time. is, And I get on his case about it. Because, like, I'll go out and have this nice meal, and I'll tell him about all these fancy things. Like, yeah, I ate this rainbow trout that was fantastic. <laughs> and I had this red wine. It was so good. And he's like, oh, just give me some chicken or rice. Yeah. And, like, he's done with it. He'd rather go to the, the $12 buffet. And I'm like, man... I've told him before, I'm like, man, if you ever want, I would love to just take you out for a good meal. Like, we'll go out. I'll pay for you to have this really nice meal, like, properly prepared, like, the, the wine pairings along with it. Yeah. Like, and I think you'd have great, and he just kind of scuffs at me. Eh, I don't know. Yeah, you see, the thing with me and fancier meals is that, I, you know, I haven't really been eating any meat outside of limited amount of seafood for, like, four years now. Yeah. And I feel that most more like of a fine dining experience caters to a, a meat eater yeah. and you know that's you know you're paying like 50 bucks for a good steak and i'm just not like ready to transition back into that meat thing so there's a lot of finer dining experiences i have missed out on um in places like michigan when we've gone there's a ton of like really like high-end vegan friendly places that i've gone you know i've spent you know 40 bucks on a plate of food and it was awesome yeah i think that's uh I think that's one thing Pittsburgh is lacking when it comes to the restaurant scene is the the vegetarian vegan market on the high end. Yeah. You know, and I think like places like uh, like Cleveland, you know, we 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 always talk shit about Cleveland here. They have an Pittsburgh. awesome food scene. Oh, now. it's great, and you know, uh, they just uh, John. I believe his name's John Sawyer. He does like uh, um, the Greenhouse Tavern and Noodle Cat and a couple other places. And he's just on his game. Like, all of his places are good. Like, you know, and he provides options. It's not just like, all right, we're just going to shove this huge, like, steak down your throat. Sure. It's like you have all these different options for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they're so, like, they 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 cater to provide the best experience to yeah. you as possible. We've been, uh, there was a, a couple places that I've been to in New York City that were, like, fancier, vegetarian-friendly places, and it wasn't very good. Um some places in San Francisco that me and Jasmine went to were pretty awesome. But it's it's a weird thing. The uh, It's also a weird balance where sometimes if you're a vegetarian but you don't necessarily want to eat like a, a quinoa spinach wrap. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you might still want to eat something kind of shitty like covered yeah. in barbecue sauce. Or a little bit of cheese or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's not enough places that like do that right blend. It's either one or the other. Like... You know, you'll take, like, a double-wide grill Yeah, has, like, a pretty expansive vegetarian menu of, like, things that, like, you wouldn't typically be able to expect. They do, like, vegetarian TV dinners with, like, mashed potatoes and, like, seitan wings and shit. <laughs> but it's, like, none of that stuff's particularly good for you. Yeah. So, it's, like, finding a balance between the two. And I think that's why I'm glad that I kept, like, seafood in my life is because... I at least have that. So you're technically pescatarian. Is yes, that correct? I just yeah. that word seems like people, a people too never snooty. know what people never know what it means. So you're just better off saying vegetarian and I eat fish. I and just say I, I mean usually people I'm just like if it ever comes up they're like oh you know you should try this chicken thing, depending on how well I know them. If it's somebody that I don't feel like I'll ever see again or whatever, just like oh yeah sure I'll try that sometime. Yeah. It's, or if it's like a closer friend, it's like well you know I don't really I'm not really eating chicken right now. 
it's better to just like roll with it than like get into the full conversation because then it oh, turns, yeah. it turns into like a whole political stance of why you decided that you don't feel like eating meat but you feel like eating eating fish and it's just yeah it's not worth it yeah I think that you know I I don't know I mean, I've thought I mean multiple times like why 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 am I not just eating like an awesome burger right now. I'm just like, yeah, no, let's, I'm not ready to go back to it. Well, and I, I think there's something to be said to that, too, is, you know, I, I talked to, you know, Ricky is, we, I'm bringing up Ricky again, and I talked to him about, like, you know, you eat all this meat, like, you know, there... It can't be good it, it for can't you be, eat, yeah, it to can't, eat that much meat. Yeah, and it's, you know, he, he says, well, meat, you know, meat is good for you, and I was like, to an extent, but, you know, like, you got to get these other things... In there too, you have to get your greens in there. Like yeah. you have to get this balance of everything. <laughs> sunlight's good for you. Yeah, sunlight's good to an extent. To an extent, yeah. <laughs> but if you get, if you get charred to shit, yeah, it's yeah. obviously not good to you. Good for you, but you know, um, yeah, I think I've definitely gained a a love for fine dining. Like uh, me and my wife Jen. Yeah, I was gonna say, what uh, was your, what is, like in Pittsburgh? Where uh, are you, what are you into? Um, in Pittsburgh, let's see. Uh, one good, really good meal I've had, um, and and what's hard too is, is when it comes to fine dining, separating how good the food is versus your experience in going there. Okay. Um, so like uh, for instance, we went to Soba, me and my wife, one year for Valentine's Day, and the food was exceptional. The wine was good. Everything was good. But part of it was the experience too. You know, they treated us really well, and, you know, obviously the, the emotions of it being, you know, Valentine's Day, yeah. the biggest corporate holiday of the year, or whatever you want to call it, uh-huh. and I'm not going to get into that, but, um, you know, we just, we had a good night, and we had a good meal there. Another good place that we went was uh, Trapino, down in the Strip District. Okay. Um, I, I remember I had, uh, I think I had marrow and, uh, and rabbit with a, with a couple glasses of red wine. Um, I'm trying to think of other places that we went. Uh, one place I didn't like, I remember, I remember more of the places I didn't like, more than the places <laughs> that I liked. Well, it's important to yeah. remember that so you don't go back. Yeah, like, uh, like, everybody rants and raves about, um, uh, Tambellini's. Okay. Over on, like, Highland Park. It's, like, this old school Italian. And I have to say, that is, like, one of the worst meals I've ever had in my life. <laughs> it's, like... Like, when I go into a place and I say that I would would have rather gone through the drive-thru at McDonald's than paid yeah. to eat at this place, that tells you something. Sure. That I'd rather just, like, kill myself what, with this what, awful what, food. What was bad about the... Was... Everything was burnt. Like, I don't, okay. know how you, I don't know how you can burn pasta, but they figured it out. <laughs> they figured it out how to burn it, and then they also, like... They, like, took our orders and let us sit there for, like, 45 minutes without, like, checking up on us or anything... It was, they were really concerned about this, like, random family across the, across the way, and were not concerned about me and my wife at all. Okay. So, like, those kind of things, like, and, and going back, that's part of it, too, is, like, the overall experience. Like, yeah. for me, like, the food has to be great, but the service also has to be great. Yeah. Like, if I get bad service up front, I feel like my palate is going to automatically say yeah. that this food is garbage. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just... I don't want to be here. I'm just eating this food because I have to pay for it at this point, and that's it. Yeah, I, I, I hate bad experiences um, at places, but, you know, I get bad experiences at places that maybe you should expect to get bad experiences at, like at Red Robin. Yeah. Well, but I, I generally like, I enjoy going to Red Robin yeah. a lot, you know, and it's like, sometimes you'll get a hostess that doesn't even ask you need more fries. They just bring the fucking fries. Yeah. That basket's empty. We obviously want more bottomless fries. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, it, what? How many? How many times in your shift <laughs> do you see somebody in the middle of their meal, but with empty fries, walk up and they're like, "No, I don't want any more free French fries." Everybody wants free fries. That's why we're coming to Red Rock. Yeah. Just exactly. bring more fucking fries. Yeah. And there's a there's a basic <laughs> there's a basic level of service, and I don't. I feel like I don't ask for too much. All I want is when my when my drink is empty, I'll, I can sit there for like a, a couple minutes. That's fine. But if I'm sitting there for twenty minutes and you haven't come over and asked me if I need something else, yeah, like I'm gonna get pissed because part of part of me eating my meal, the drink is very important to me. Okay, and I've had conversations with my wife about this. Is that the what I pair my food with is pretty much on the same level as what I'm eating, like. I, I'm not the type of person that goes to a restaurant and, and orders water. Like I know a lot of people do, but if if there is beer available, I don't care if it's eight o'clock in the morning. I'm going to order that beer because <laughs> that beer is going to complement whatever I'm eating at the time. Like right now, I walked in. The first thing I did was I handed you a beer, and yeah. it's like you know twelve o'clock in the afternoon. Yep. Like you know, I talk to my wife all the time about how I have my morning beer, and I'm now sounding like an alcoholic. But like, <laughs> I, like I have like I have a beer like first thing in the morning, and it, like you know I have it with. Do you drink with, coffee? I do drink coffee as well. Okay. But. Yeah, my diet, I think it's for, I'm like beer, coffee, water. That's yeah. It. I started drinking, getting back into orange juice recently. I really like orange juice. It like genuinely like wakes me up and makes me feel like it makes my, my brains working better. If yeah. I have a glass like in the evening. It regulates your system. Yeah. And and part of that too is like, you know, that, that's your, your breakfast meal. Like you have orange juice because it complements what you're eating. Like... I always I, have coffee in the morning. I never well, have. or coffee. Yeah. But, like, I, I, I'm, would ne- I would feel really weird about waking up and having scrambled eggs and a Pepsi. It uh, just yeah. doesn't, like, yeah. it just doesn't, it doesn't seem like those things complement each other. Like, you know, if you go through, if you go through the drive-thru and it's like you order, uh, you know, uh, a McMuffin or whatever. You order a McMuffin, hash brown, and a Pepsi. It just does not like. It does not feel like those things should be going together. Yeah. It's like everything has to complement each I, other. I'm really good at actually like not drinking it, anything when I eat. I notice it. It's not even something that I do consciously. I'll just like go, I, like I'll literally I'll go out say like Red Robin. I will crush like two baskets of fries and my burger and not even touch my water. Oh man, I'm. Yeah, I, you, I don't know you, why. You and I are polar opposites. I'll go but, through like fifteen <laughs> drinks and like maybe eating two of my French fries at that yeah. point. Um, but then there's times when if I get a drink, I just drink it really fucking fast, and then I, I just like I very rarely bounce back and forth between the two. I don't know why. Yeah, it, I mean, if I'm like, I guess it depends. It's like if I'm at say again Red Robin, bringing it up. I would, I'm not going to order a shitty beer with my food. Oh, no. Like, I'm not going to, like, it's like, what, like, the best beer I could probably get at Red Robin would be, like, a Blue Moon, and yeah. I would much rather drink a water with but, my meal than drink a Blue Moon. But if I'm, like, at the Moose or something, like, oh, yeah. like, then the, I could usually bounce back and forth. I find that, like, IPAs and seafood usually work really well together. Like, my favorite thing ever is, like, a huge beer-battered fish sandwich <laughs> and, like, a super hoppy beer. That's, like, the best yeah, and that, and that's the thing is like if I'm eating like, if I'm eating a good meal, I want to go to beer. But if I'm eating like you know, if I'm eating a backyard hamburger that somebody makes, I just oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just grabbing a Bud Light and chugging it down and calling it a day because I hate to it's say the it, that shittiness complements each yeah, other and it's creates just, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a vat of shit. Oh no, just all going. It's the thing one. like there's times when me and Jasmine, 
you know, we want to go out and have, like, a really nice dinner. And then there's sometimes where it's like, fuck it, let's just go to Sheets and get, like, $4 footlongs <laughs> and just, like, get into this. And it's like, the experience is just as nice and it's just as personal. Yep. But it's like, we're going into it and we know what we're getting and it's, like, kind of fun, the shittiness of it. But you it's expect, still good. You have that expectation. Yeah. Like, I expect this this borderline shitty amount of service when I go in there. And if I get any less, if I get subpar shitty, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> and, and if I get more than I wanted, I'm actually going to be kind of pissed too. Yeah. I just want, this is, like, this is what I want right you here. You can't like expect too much. Like the last time we went to Sheets, the way that they made my sandwich was completely ridiculous. And I was just like looking at it and laughing. It was just so funny. They just threw like the cheese and the sauce on the bottom and all the chicken on like, oh, well, yeah. not, not, not chicken in your case, but like everything yeah, else like, on all top. All the toppings were like on top and then like, it was just falling out because yeah. the cheese wouldn't like fit inside the bread right. So it's just like, who the fuck makes a sandwich like that? Yeah. <laughs> but so, Co- you know, common sense. That's, that's something I, I str- <laughs> that, that is a big thing that I struggle with in life is people that have no common sense. You want to, you want to drive me insane? Have no common sense. <laughs> I'm actually going through a situation. I'm going to switch the vet because she has no fucking common sense. Yeah. She, she's pissed me off three times in the last week just from not having common sense. And that's what I don't understand. You can go to college for all these years, get this fancy smanchy degree, and then you're still a fucking idiot. Like, Absolutely. Like, I don't get thing, it. It's all bullshit. I was just talking to somebody, a couple, I haven't put the episode yet, yet but um, we were just talking about we like getting through life and as you're becoming an adult, like once you start to figure things out, it's like you're really just bullshitting your way into these positions, into these jobs that you have. Like, you don't really know what you're doing. Oh, boy. Nobody does. <laughs> but then, like, if you're smart enough and you have the common sense, you can figure it out and you learn and you adapt, but you continue to bullshit to further yourself. That's that's a perfect example of my life right there. <laughs> yeah. I start, I, I, after I was done with Demise, I started working as a temp at the company that I'm at now. I've been there for, like, eight years now. I started as a temp. Eight months later, I got hired on. Then the year after that, I got another promotion. And then I just recently got another promotion. And it was like, essentially, you know, it says that they they want me to have a bachelor's degree. Like, if you look at the, at the job description, that's what they really would like. Yeah. But I don't. But now that they've promoted me, they're like, well, we really like you to get some further education. So now I have... Now, like, I never thought I'm going to have to go to college. Like, I'm, I'm going to be one of those 30-year-old dudes. And... I'm I'm nervous about it because of going into the class, but I'm also nervous about it because I'm gonna be in there with a bunch of fucking idiots. And that's, sure, that's the problem. Is like I'm gonna be in there with like you know eighteen, nineteen year old kids that like their parents are paying, like yeah. paying for them to go, and they're not giving two fucks about what's going on. And I'm in there like trying to like do my best to get this education. <laughs> yeah, you don't have time for bullshit. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, that's that's one of my biggest worries about going to college here in the fall. And I, I was one of those people that I was like hardcore, like, man, I've you know, I've done so well for myself without going to school and like I'm never going to school. Like it's you know, I'm gonna be one of those guys. And now it's like now my job told me like, All right, we're gonna give you this but you gotta gotta go to school and I'm like, Okay, well, if you're telling me I gotta go, I gotta go. Like, you know, you you know, they're, they're, you know, buttering my bread here. Well, so. it's all, and also you're going with a purpose and a direction and an end goal already 
waiting for you at the finish line. Yeah, and I guess that's a good to, point. Opposed uh, to, you know, someone who goes in blindly just because they feel that, like, this is the next step in their life, and they don't know what they want to be when they grow up, so they're going to do this. Whereas you, it's just like, you're taking the next step in your career path to further yourself and your family and, you know, your new daughter and her life and yeah. all that stuff. So I think that it's a positive thing, even though. It's ruining your punk credibility. Yeah, and it's ru- it's ruining my uh, like some of my punk points have been taken <laughs> yeah, away from yeah, me at this point. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, yeah, and um, and that's the other problem too is like having the new daughter at home. Like, you know, she's five and a half weeks now. Like, you know, fresh out of the oven. Yeah, and it's like, all right, now in the fall, at that point, she'll be like a couple months old, and like. I got to figure out, you know, you, you had made a comment the other day, like you and I were in like a busy contest of like seeing who oh. could be the most busy. <laughs> and it's like, I felt like, yeah, that's pretty factual yeah. because it's like, all right, I got to figure out how to balance the Sykes record coming out. I got to figure out how to balance the Grey Walker record coming out uh-huh. with, and both bands having shows. I got to figure out how to put practices into there. I got to figure out how to spend time with my wife, how to spend an accurate amount of time at work how to throw this college thing into there and fit my family, my Your daughter. Yeah. My, I, yeah. Fit my and daughter. Then other in there. Family too. And then other family. And then you're still doing stuff at the Elks, right? Yeah. I still do stuff at the Elks Lodge. <laughs> so it's like, I'm one of the officers down there. I'm like, um, I'm now uh, called the Tyler. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's like, what I'm realizing is there is enough time in the day if you figure it out. Oh, it's just about like, prioritizing and not getting caught up in bullshit and not spending more time than you need to on something that isn't a priority. Yeah, and and that's um, you know, and that's one thing over the past like over the past few years, like I used to be very much a yes person, whereas like somebody asked me to do something, I said yes mm-hmm. all the time. It was like, "Hey, why don't you do this?" and I was like, "Yeah, man, that sounds great. That sounds great." And like, you know, now I'm the type of person that Somebody says something in my brain, my brain goes, oh, that sounds like it would be a lot of fun. That would be, a lot, you know, that'd be mm-hmm. great. I would really enjoy that. But in the same right, I go, I have all this other stuff that I got that I, I enjoy that a lot too. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not going to just tell this person like, you know, yeah, I'll do this band with you. And then like six weeks later, they're like, you know, struggling to get a hold of me mm-hmm. and, and figure out like, well, hey man, you haven't called us back. You're not showing up to practice. And I, and I eventually have to go. Yeah, I just don't have time for it. Yeah. Like, I'm now more of more upfront of just saying, you know what, man, this sounds great. I just I'm gonna tell you right, you know, straight up, I just can't do it. I don't have yeah. the time. Like and sometimes with me saying I don't have the time, it's more of like, you know, I don't have the time for you. Like yeah. and I know that sounds awful. But, but it's it, like I I need to take the time that I have and if if I need to make something happen, I can make it happen. But you I know, don't need to make this happen. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't need to make this happen as much as I think it would be kind of fun. I can understand that in my, in the position I'm in, I get it a hundred percent and somebody who might not be as busy might have a hard time grasping that, but they're, they'll have to fucking get over it. Yeah. Um, a thing that I've been really notorious for doing that I've been working on more recently is just like making time for people to just like socialize and do whatever. Like, so, you know, I told you I went out last night. I yeah. mean, like. A year or two ago, that's something I wouldn't have done. It's like, I need to lock myself in my room and get all this stuff done. But, and I do, I mean, I have a ton of shit that I need to get ready for, you know, the Sykes album. Even though the album's done, there's still so much prep work for actually getting it released. And then, Grey Walker stuff and things like that. But, 
this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Is like, am I doing this because I'm happy or because I feel like I need to do it? Yeah. So right now I'm trying to take more time, even if I have a ton of like shit on my shoulders, just to make time for people and have fun and let loose and not get bogged down by all this psych shit. I don't want to end up hating it. I don't want to like get so stressed out about it. Well, and that's the thing. I think if you make if you make the time for others, the things that you do yourself don't seem as as selfish. Yeah. Like, um, you know, that's part of why I do the stuff down at the Elks too is, you know, I'm very big on volunteering your time. Like making sure that you're you're taking the time to do stuff for others. You know, and not in like, you know, we talked about how I, I you know, I tell people that I can't do things. That's that's when it comes to like, hey, can you do long term commitment? Well, like, can you do this musical project for me? Like, you you, you want like, do you want to be in a band with me? Like, if somebody ever asked me, like, hey, will you drum on my record? I'll be like, okay, send me the tunes. I'll I'll figure it out. I'll come in for eight hours and I'll I'll, you know, kick something out for you. But you know, like, volunteer time is different. Like, I I think there's something to be said about making sure that you're taking your time to benefit other people. Because um, I feel there's a big difference between uh, happiness and satisfaction, where volunteer work is satisfaction. And, and, and what I mean by that is there's a big difference between happiness, which is spontaneous, and satisfaction, which is the long term. Like, what, there will be some times that I've, I've worked down there, like I'll work in the kitchen, I'll get there at like 6 o'clock, and then I'll get home at like midnight. And when I'm there, I'm, it's okay. Sometimes other, you know, sometimes I have a lot of fun. Other times I'm just hating it. But when I get out of there, I feel satisfied. I feel like I've done something good. I feel like that what I've done has benefited other people. And it's hard to do that when you don't have the direct result in front of you. Mm -hmm. But, and that's part of why I I like going to the meetings too, is knowing that the volunteer work that I do, they kind of give an update of like, okay, we made X amount of dollars and it went to this. Um, one of our big things is like a home service program where we send out uh, nurses to help people with special needs and parents. Um, and it's like, yeah, we raised this amount of money and we were able to do um, like 90 visits, 90 nurse visits to people in the month of December. And it's like, wow, what this, this thing that I did, this small couple hours that I did really benefited somebody else. It really, you know, it, it benefited somebody in a way that I can't even fathom. You know, it's, I don't get to see it. Like, I don't get to be, you know, I don't get to look in when the nurse comes in the door. But I, you know, you think about it and you know, like, oh my God, this, this, this mother who has, that has this child with this disability got to take like a, an hour and a half breather, you know, oh, sure. you know, to just like maybe take a nap or go to the grocery store or, or do whatever whatever they needed to do just to like mentally survive. Uh-huh. You know, it's just I think there's a big. I I I think our generation doesn't do enough when it comes to that. When it comes to the public service aspect of, of life, like I don't like being a part of the Elks. I'm one of the few members. Like, and I'm 30, so I'm like I'm young, but I'm not that young. I'm one of the youngest people that show up. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. and it's like. Where are all these other people of our generation, like, you know... It's a very self-centered culture. Yeah. And, you know, it's just... Yeah, I wish more people would just go out and do volunteer work. (laughs) But... 
<laughs> oh, oh, going back to going back to family, because um, I know that's what we were talking about earlier. Uh, yeah, making the time for <laughs> making the time for a daughter is crazy. I didn't think I had the time. <laughs> now it's like you know, well, you don't have a choice, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't really have a choice, and you know, uh, that that's another thing when it comes to society. Fatherhood is way different than I expected it to be. Um, okay. I got, I get so many people and it's not on a personal level that they say this stuff to me. It's like on a generic level. People are surprised that I'm in, in, involved as a father, which is really odd. Okay. Like people. What, pe- look like, like changing diapers? Changing and diapers and feedings and yeah. stuff. Like people, you know, I've had multiple people go, oh, well, I mean, you're, you're not tired. You're not like getting up with the baby and stuff like that. And when I go, yeah, I am. Like, <laughs> I, I'm sleeping like an hour and a half in a fucking night. You, t- yeah. you tell me I'm not getting up? Like, and, and they just kind of look at me like I have two heads. It's like, well, why are you doing that? Because I, I have a daughter, and that's, like, I want to be a great father to my kid. I don't want to, like, you know, I don't want to pawn all this stuff off onto my onto my wife, just assuming... Just because my wife has a vagina, that she's supposed to like oh, yeah. take care of the kid all the time. It's like we have this healthy balance of, you know, we gotta make we gotta make it work for her. Uh huh. You know, and it's just I never understood why, like, you know, I think I think kids can be raised well in a single in like a single parent home, but I see why it is it is more beneficial to have the two parents there, and it's. You know, some people talk about like you know having the balance between the two sexes. Honestly, I think it's from a mental standpoint. Like, I I, I have my daughter, and sometimes like there 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 have been a couple nights where she started screaming from at like eleven thirty at night, and she stopped at like nine in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I took like a couple hour shift, and then I woke my wife up to take a couple hours. If I would would have been up from like eleven o'clock, eleven thirty at night. Deny in the morning with this kid, my daughter screaming in my face the whole time. My mental capacity is definitely at an all time low at that point. Oh, sure. Like you just you're just drained. Like there's no way that you could be like this perfect parent on the lack of sleep and like the like the mental exhaustion of like hearing your kid scream with like nothing you can do. And like that's the other thing too is like I see I see people that complain like. Um, I've seen this twice this year. Uh, somebody complaining that their neighbors like have a newborn and they're like screaming through the night, and it's just like, obviously this person has never had a kid. Yeah. yeah. Obviously this person thinks that you could just like shove a cork in this kid's mouth and like, <laughs> like or, or like throw throw the kid in the closet and call it a day. Uh-huh. Like people just don't understand that like when you have a kid, sometimes they're just gonna cry and there is nothing you could do about it. You could you could you know, balance them up and down, you can feed them, you can change your diaper, you can take them for a car ride, you can, you know, take take off their clothes because you think they're too hot, put their clothes back on because you think they're too cold, like, you can do everything you can imagine, and ultimately, you can just hold them in front of your face, and they're just going to scream right at you, and there's nothing you can do, so, yeah, fatherhood is definitely, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things that people don't, I don't know. Like they say, it's it's a thankless thing to be a, a mother. Like, but I feel now that I'm a father, not taking anything away from the mothers, but like, I get like 
nobody ever says like, oh, like, you know, oh, you're, you're a good dad. You're going to be a great dad. It's like, oh, the, it's always like the mom is doing everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can see that. You know, I think that with most, th- most things, everything that we've been talking about today has to do with a certain level of like responsibility and, uh, you know, the personal responsibility that you put on yourself and the things that you need to take care of. And a lot of people, unfortunately, for whatever reason, when they bring a kid into their life, they have not had any, like, a responsible, like, that amount of responsibility laid at their doorstep before. So it can be very, the idea can seem very overwhelming. I mean, I think that most people figure it out and get through, you know. But it's always a very intimidating thing, I think. Oh, it's... When you get there and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, when you when you, when like you leave the hospital and they go, here you go, <laughs> here you go, here, here here's this. You didn't kid. have this when you came in. Yeah, you didn't have this, and guess what? This is gonna be there for a while. <laughs> this is, and like, um, you know, some of the things that me and my wife talk about, it makes us sound like awful parents. But like, there's this thing where you can like give the kid back in like 30 days or something. They, oh yeah. And like with no like, you know, n- no big deal. I don't remember what it's called, but it's like well. Day, day 30 is passed. I guess we got to keep this thing. Like, you know, but, and, and, and that's the thing is you kind of have to be like lighthearted about it because, sure. you know, it's really, at times it's really stressful. Like, uh, you know, yesterday, for example, um, you know, I had stuff going on during the day and then, you know, my daughter was screaming most of the day. Like we went out and like, we went to like Sam's club and like, you know, she's screaming in Sam's club and we're just both sitting there like, you know, trying to get her to calm down and by the end of the night we you know she'd been screaming most of the day and i had gotten to go out a couple times like between like going to like the pharmacy and stuff like that and my wife's just sitting there and all i just said was like go out (laughs) just go you you just need to get out of this house and like go get a drink for a couple hours and come back and you're gonna feel 10 times better and like that's the thing is like everybody expects like i feel like when you become a parent like there's this there's this thing that you set for yourself that you're supposed to be able to take it. Like you're supposed to be able to like, like have the kids scream at you and like, you know, you're going to be fine. Like you're like, you, like you get down on yourself as a parent that like, you know, you don't, you don't have all the answers, but now after only, only five and a half weeks, I'm kind of realizing that like, yeah, nobody really has answers. Like, um, you know, it, you know, if she's screaming, like, it doesn't matter who picks her up. Like, sure. you know, sometimes the parents just, <laughs> you don't have the answer right in I front mean, of you. It's like being in a band. It's like every day you learn more about the people that you're working with. And then you just got to figure out how to work with what they're doing. I'm just glad I don't have to change our band members' diapers. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I got to say. I got to deal with, I got to deal with enough shit at home. Literally and figuratively. So. All right. Okay. So I I have one more question. Oh for boy. You. Yeah. We've probably been going for what like an hour and a half. Two yeah. Hours. We're getting there. We're yeah. getting there. I'll 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 probably turn it down because you know we'll, we'll, I'll I'll keep the good stuff. Oh yeah, I'll keep the good stuff. So we'll have like a five minute episode. <laughs> Fair enough. No. Okay. So I wanted to save this for the end because anybody who's still listening to this is probably like a good friend of yours. Okay. All right. So like. What the fuck is up with the cats? <laughs> <laughs> the cats. Okay. Um, so, what's funny is, 
it all started. It was it's it actually molded from a leopard print thing. Okay. To the cat thing. Um, so when I was younger, I I liked Motley Crue a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Tommy Lee had fucking leopard print shit everywhere. <laughs> Like leopard print, like you, you always saw, like he just had leopard print all around. So like, I was just like, man, that's so cool. So I just started like, like getting leopard print, everything. Like I had a leopard print snap bracelet, like, which eventually ended up turning into a leopard print snap bracelet tattoo on my wrist. And then I was like, well, I like leopards. And then all of a sudden, like, um, I was just around people with cats for some reason. And I was just like, man, I love these things. Like, they're just so cool. They like purr at you and they like you know, sit on your lap and like, but they're, but also like they're like, they're beings that just like, they do their own thing. Like I can, like I can leave a cat for a weekend with enough, like with a litter box, water and food and they're fucking fine. Oh yeah. yeah. Where a dog, it's like, okay, well you got to make sure you're home like a couple times a day. You can't just leave them in the cage or, um, because it's awful to leave them in the cage, but you can't leave them out cause they're going to rip up everything. Or I just, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like cats are just these, like, perfect animals. Like, they have all the best qualities of everything. They're, like, no bullshit. It's like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, if I'm pissed off, I'm just going to knock shit everywhere. I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel. Like, you know, but in the same right, they're also smart enough that, like, when I leave the house, like, you know, they realize that I'm not there. They're not just, they're not going to like start ripping up the furniture and everything while I'm gone because they're pissed off. They're uh-huh. just like, I don't know. It's just, I just really got into cats and now I'm still really into cats. Yeah. <laughs> I've looked for cat tattoos. I have like, <laughs> I have my two cats at home. Like, I don't know. I don't know if there was a quite, uh, like a defining moment. It was more of like a slow, gradual, it went from just like liking leopard print from Tommy Lee to uh <laughs> to like loving cats yeah like i know that sounds really odd but that's kind of the transition that happened so and yeah i just think uh and they're also like a big stress reliever for me like you know um i talked about this with my wife the other day like um when i've had my when i had my really down times like uh after one of my bands broke up and like i had a fiance at the time like literally like in a matter of four months I went from the band breaking up I broke up with my fiance and I moved in with a friend of mine and literally only had a couple things in cardboard boxes I had like I had no bed nothing yeah and I started to get all of my shit together and I was like well I'm like stressed out like so I got this cat and it was like instant like whenever I feel down I felt like I had something to take care of like I felt like I need to make myself, I need to push myself through because there is something that is relying on me. And like, you know, not as much as like having a kid does, but like, you know, if you really care about something, I feel like sometimes you need that motivation. Like if you can't motivate yourself, sometimes having that motivation there to like keep you going really helps. And that's like what, what like having cats is done for me on a deeper level okay. is like making sure that I have something else in my life to take care of. Sure. It keeps like your responsibility in check because yeah. there's another living thing depending on you. Oh yeah. Like, you know, if, if I didn't have cats, like, you know, it's like, I can go, I can just quit my job. Like, you know, if I, if I, if I have barely anything to eat, it's no big deal. But like, well now my decision has like affected the cat. Like, so I have no money to get her cat litter and 
Yeah, it's funny. I feel like that like perfectly prepped you for fatherhood. Yeah, in a way, yeah, a hundred percent. Like I think I think taking care of an animal. If you really care about an animal, like there's some of the same qualities. Like you have to make sure they're fed. You have to make sure that they're healthy. You have to make sure that you have everything that you need for them. But also, like, you know, you don't smother them either. Like they're uh, sure. they're, they're their own person slash cat they'll rebel yeah like, and wear wide leg jeans yeah so start wearing jankos and going to the mall like um but like um no like you know you notice like people that like pick up their cats all the time they they just hate it they don't want it like yeah. if you leave if you just leave the cat be where you know let it be it's let it be its own dude they'll come to you whenever they're ready and like do their thing so yeah i think it's a lot like parenthood you have to like you have to you have to make sure that everything they need is there, but you need to give them somewhat of their space to like yeah. grow into what they need to be. Yeah. So, yeah, cats. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap this up. We could do it again in a few years. Yeah, in a few you know, years, and we could talk about back to school shopping. Yeah, back to school shopping. What my daughter's going through. Yeah. Uh, in her in her development, and how much at that point she'll probably hate me. <laughs> <laughs> well. Thanks for doing it. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, that's about it, right? Uh, well, I think we have one more thing. We have a show coming up. That you, I'll talk about that Yeah, later. you can promo it at another time. Yeah. Okay. Who knows? Yeah. Well, this even, this should be up by then. It might not be. Uh, 50. That'll be the 26th. Okay. That'll be the week, that'll be the week of. If you, if you give me 50. Yeah, you got 50. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. And that is all, folks. Thanks so much for sticking around. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Joey's the man. Love that dude. Sorry that the conversation was so long, but um, if you're still here, I'm guessing that you liked it and you were entertained. And yeah, maybe I shouldn't apologize for that. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, I'll be back next week with another episode. Same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. I am Sykes, start the beat, 2015, whoop, woo, thanks for listening.